0: We'll spend the next few minutes of WGTD's morning show talking about a really entertaining and thought-provoking book that's called What's What and What to Do About It? Answers You Didn't Know You Wanted to Questions You Didn't Know You Had. This book is uh, the creation of one Steve Adams uh, under the pseudonym of Waldo Mellon. And uh, Steve Adams uh, is an experienced screenwriter and uh, to some Mm -hmm. extent, a frustrated screenwriter who has uh, Mm -hmm. uh, taken Mm -hmm. to a very different kind of writing with this particular book published by Seven Stories Press, in which he delves into a wide array of different questions and topics and issues related to life, the world around us, how we see the world, how we see ourselves. And uh, some of the questions uh, approached are actually quite profound and serious, but uh, all of them done with a really lovely light touch. And, uh, and in almost every instance, uh, we are given a very different, refreshing sort of take on uh, maybe time-worn questions that we have uh, pondered many, many times before. Uh, it's a really, really great book. I've enjoyed reading it so much, and I'm excited for this opportunity to speak with the author, Steve Adams. Under the pseudonym of Waldo Mellon, we welcome you to The Morning Show
1: um Greg that was a breathtakingly um lovely introduction and i'm so grateful for the um the attention you're paying to this uh crazy little book
0: before we talk about the book i do want to talk for just a little bit about the fact that you have spent so much of your life and paid the bills for the most part as a screenwriter and uh yeah. and even have had several of your screenplays transformed into film so you've enjoyed some success as a screenwriter but but in some respects, you've also experienced some frustration with kind of the genre itself. Tell us a little bit more about writing screenplays, being a screenwriter, and why your soul was kind of crying out to maybe do a different kind of writing this time around
1: um, I'm a very slow writer um, and uh, so it takes me a long time to write a screenplay and um, the first screenplay of mine that got uh, a lot of attention uh, was a, a screenplay called Envy. And it was made into a movie with, it had big stars, and it had Jack Black and Ben Stiller and Chris Walken and Barry Levinson directed the thing. And I must say, I loved the screenplay, but I did not like the movie. And I had not seen that movie uh, since the first time I I watched it. It was just a, a painful experience, and that was followed up by uh, two other produced screenplays of mine that uh, in, which, in, in which I had the same experience. I I was really proud of the screenplay, but in the, the, in in collaborating with these other um, good-hearted, wonderful people, something. From my point of view, was lost, and uh, those. So I've had three screenplays produced, and, and they're screenplays that I feel apologetic for because they they're, they're just not what what I had hoped for. And that's you know on one hand, it it paid for the the life that I've lived, and it's been a, I'm living where I want to live and. I'm looking out the window of where I got married, and I had two grown children and so it's been a wonderful life but as you as you suggested i'm uh, I'm unhappy about the uh, the trail the creative trail i've I've left behind and so um I think that frustration accounts for uh wanting to do wanting wanting to uh, find fun once again in writing mm. and and, and and stumbling across this idea, you know, what if I wrote a fake advice column? <laughs> and that seems uh, fertile with with comedy, which is which is what I, I'm comfortable writing. And the more I more I uh, sunk into this, the more I did it. A fake advice column written by a fake advice columnist, a guy named Waldo Mellon, me. And now. I had the opportunity to have all these fake <laughs> fake letter writers write. Uh, ask this guy, Waldo Mellon, questions, which I, in fact, ask myself. So it was, a, it was a writer's dream come true that I could be funny, but at the same time um, answer serious questions.
0: Mm. I did read or hear you say in talking about your life as a screenwriter for kind of all the frustrations that have been part of it, that uh, you say the writing of screenplays uh, has been for you a terrific teacher. What are the most important things you've taken away from your career as a screenwriter and, and especially how did that serve you in writing your new book, What's What and What to Do About It?
1: It made me. It made me aware of uh, from the start what my um, what my strength is. Because uh, as a young guy, you set out. You well, I'll write a screenplay. And you get the form down, and you set out writing screenplays according to the confines of the form. And what I really found great pleasure in uh, was dialogue. Uh, creating characters that. Um, talk to each other, a, a, a reality um, that wasn't farcical, but w- w- it, w- it was real. And within that reality, um, I would write a screenplay which was generated by my life experience, the things that I was uh, was, was going through in my life. I had, I had no appetite for um, research. And so... Everything I've I've ever written has come from uh, my assessment of what's true, and I I I think the writing of screenplays uh, mostly um, taught taught me that I love character. I don't I don't feel strong in storytelling, but I do feel strong in um, um, funny characters who are rooted in in reality, and so. Um, this book, this little book, it began as an experiment, and the more I, the more I did it, uh, the more fun, the more fun I was having, and uh, I must say, I'm I'm delighted with it, with this book. I'm surprised by how much I um, I, I love it.
0: Hmm. One other question, <laughs> a little aside of the book itself, and then I promise we'll start digging into what's what and what to do about it. You, Feel free uh, to wander anywhere. <laughs> you mentioned okay. in your biography that you lost your your parents when you were quite young, and went yes. to live with a relative. And uh, yes. uh, those relatives uh, were the the Vonneguts. And uh, and I uh, wanted to ask you about Jane and Kurt Vonnegut because I actually recently recorded an interview with uh, their son, Mark, who is a doctor and has written a memoir about his life as a doctor. So I just have to take this opportunity to ask what it was like to be raised by the Vonnegut's. You you hint that so, it explains a lot about who you are and how you see the world.
1: I think uh, more than that particular experience, particularly for me, um, it, it wasn't so much that, uh, Kurt, that it was Kurt Vonnegut, but it was... Um, the time when my parents died I was 11 years old I had three brothers and um, my parents died uh, two days apart and so uh, you wake up from that and there's relatives uh, in your house um, taking care of uh, these orphaned children and so as an 11-year-old, I what I remember most is jumping in a car and then getting out of that car on Cape Cod with my brothers and our dogs, and um, and there was this my my uncle Kurt, who's my uh, my mother's brother, who we, I, I knew the guy as a as a kid because we would visit them on Cape Cod while I was living in New Jersey, but. Um, it was it was such, it was such a, a surreal uh experience getting out uh finding my my new bedroom and just navig- navigating this brand new life and um so the fact that it was Kurt Vonnegut and Jane Vonnegut um they were really, they they felt like the um the ho- more more hosts than um the replacements for my parents and I, I know my brothers have much different uh, uh, version of of those days but that's mine that uh, okay I have a new life I'm sleeping sort of in a different bed the bed that I uh, the bedroom that I shared uh, was the bedroom of mark Vonnegut who who you you uh, interviewed both he, he had a his book and my book uh, came out almost simultaneously, and they're they're quite different. But um, to this day, uh, I love uh, my cousins like I love my brothers. Hmm.
0: Small world. Well, I'm so happy to uh, yes. know a little more about you. So for those of you just joining us, I am speaking with Steve Adams, who the world has known uh, as a screenwriter until... the publication of this new book, which is called What's What and What to Do About It? Answers You Didn't Know You Wanted to Questions You Didn't Know You Had. And in this book, Steve (laughs) Adams, under the pseudonym of Waldo Mellon, uh, answers questions as an advice columnist would, except he is responsible for concocting both the letters and the answers. (laughs) One of my questions, uh, Steve Adams, is, kind of what the process was like in terms of how the book took shape. I mean, did you have the answers first and then have to figure out what question did this answer answer? Or 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 did you begin with questions and then formulate the answers or so or was it all kind of a messy stew that you had to sort of sort out? I would say it's a messy stew that I had to sort out. There were uh,
1: I have a habit of uh, I carry a little notebook around my back pocket, and there's all, there's fragments of things that if I don't write down, I will forget. And um, it's from that notebook that lots of the uh, of the questions um, orig- originated. And so I would say, on big big issues, uh, I sort of I, I had I had my answer a, a version of my answer ready to go. Um, and then I would uh, tailor a, a a letter writer, that person's question to what I hoped to say. But often I had this experience that um, once the question was asked, an answer I never would have thought of uh, came from it and and, uh, and it was a wonderful experience to um, ask myself. A question that I really wanted to know the answer to, and and find a satisfa- satisfactory answer to it. So it was the self-examination of it was uh, was an absolute pleasure. The writing of the of the letters was great fun because it could come from a junior high school girl, it could come from an you know, an old man, and. Uh, you asked a great question i i, I think by writing the answers uh, I discovered what I really thought about things and because um, I, I have great affection for this this little this, this little uh, book I'm holding in my hand <laughs> <clears throat> I
0: like that uh although it's interesting at at one point you say that uh something to the effect that uh, if you ever needed to uh clear out a movie theater uh the, the second best way uh, after uh, yelling fire is to uh yell out uh, would anyone like to hear my philosophy on life uh which <laughs> which 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 points to you know in a sense I, I wonder what your mindset was as you shaped this book and uh you know with with that idea of i'm just me and as you say yourself i am an expert on absolutely nothing but me uh so what does it take to sort of get from that, from that point A to point B, where you are, in effect, sharing your perspectives on life uh, with the whole world via this book?
1: Yeah. Um, I think the, the first the first big part of the trick was um, uh, not being Steve Adams, being this guy, Waldo Mellon. And so Waldo Mellon feels like, almost like... <laughs> I'm the ventriloquist. Steve Adams is the ventriloquist, and I've got this guy, uh, Waldo Mellon, sitting on my knee, and I make I I ask the questions, and uh, Waldo Mellon, not me, um, uh, gives the answers, and so it it kind of deflects the uh, the the notion that oh, this guy Steve Adams, who's not a psychoanalyst, he's, he's not a professor. He's he's a comedy writer. Why should I, um, I listen to what this guy says about import, important issues? And by having Waldo Mellon, who um, I think of Waldo Mellon as uh, myself, in a terrific mood, and I when when he's giving advice, it's it's much more uh, confident. It's much more. Um, it has much more of a playfulness um, than I feel that I do when people ask me um, serious questions. I feel, uh, I feel slightly apologetic about the fact that all I really know about is me. And in the shape of this, this advice, advice column, me is plenty. And so um I'm gonna stick with it for a while. <laughs> I, I, I like th- I like this <laughs> I like this
0: little uh charade. Right. Let's talk a little bit more about uh your pseudonym Waldo Mellon, which also in a sense is something of an alter ego for you. Uh I mean, that that has uh that that you have shared with the world on, on certain uh, occasions, uh while yes. while uh, ridiculously garbed. But let's start with first of all, the name, where that pseudonym or nickname comes from if i remember correctly it you were nicknamed that by a friend uh, many years ago
1: yes um, i was in a, in college i was in a uh, a rock band a you know a bunch of clumsy amateurs with instruments who, who would play uh, at fraternity parties and so while we weren't we weren't terrifically good, we were, we had a lot of fun, and people could see that we were having a lot of fun. And our lead singer was a guy who um, I had never met a personality like this. He was fun, he was funny, he was filled with energy, and he gave us all uh, f- fun fake names: Mort Chillpod. Uh, (laughs) Orville McCorkle and I was uh, Waldo Mellon and 35 years ago this uh, beautiful guy killed himself and the name Waldo Mellon I kind of tucked it away for um, for when I wanted to uh, bring him him out and we we this house that I'm sitting in, I look out in the yard. We used to have these uh, a talent show every August, and neighbors and friends would come and and uh, and and sit out there in lawn chairs and blankets. And I'd become this guy, Waldo Mellon. I I, I dressed up in a crazy outfit. I had lightning bolts uh, painted onto my leotard, <laughs> <laughs> and I was the MC, and. There was something very freeing about being that goofball, and the name with the name Waldo Melon I, did I guess did I guess um, be, became useful once again uh, when I when I wanted to create a fake um, uh, you know, a, 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 a fake advice uh, columnist, and so I think. I know that that's, that's that's
0: where it came from. We're speaking with Steve Adams, who under the pseudonym Waldo Mellon has uh, given the world a really interesting book called What's What and What to Do About It: Answers You Didn't Know You Wanted to Questions You Didn't Know You Had. And uh, there are a lot of different chapters in this book touching on all kinds of things from from uh, marriage to love to luck to fighting to uh horrors, to crying, to opinions, to decisions, on and on and on, it's just such an entertaining book uh, start to finish. You begin in a really interesting place by uh, sharing with us a word that you have coined, and that word is vucule, uh, spelled V-O-O-C-U-L-E, which uh, in a nutshell, I think you would define as one's bubble of life. Uh, tell our listeners more about this idea of the vucule, and why you wanted to start your book there.
1: Um, it's a hard—it's a hard concept to to talk about without actually um, reading it. I, I feel—I feel clumsy talking about it. If, feel free
0: if you want to—if you want to read uh, at least a portion of that. I think that would be great. I thought this was a really interesting part of the book.
1: You you tell me when to stop. I don't know how much time you have, but I'd I'd be delighted uh, to 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 set out on on this chapter. It's the first chapter of the book. Um, all all of the chapters uh, are in that uh, advice column form. There's a uh, except for this one um, There's a letter written to me and then to Waldo and then Waldo answers it. But here here is the uh, first chapter of the book which does not start with a letter. It's a brand-new word. Before we get to the real heart of this book, to the letters, I want to introduce to you a brand-new word. This brand-new word is vocule. Here's how it's pronounced. Vo rhymes with boo. Cule rhymes with mule. Vocule. Say it a few times. Vocule. 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 I'm hoping that the word will become as much a part of your vocabulary as the word soul. Like your soul, your vucule is a tough butterfly to net. It cannot be seen or touched or even located. Every living thing has its own vucule, plants included. Your vucule is your bubble, your bubble of life. What's inside? You. The totality of you. Every experience you have ever had, every thought, every dream, everything remembered, everything forgotten, everything hidden in the dark of your subconscious, everything you hate about yourself, everything you love about yourself. And here's a very interesting fact. Every vucule is exactly the same size. The vucule of a baby mouse is no smaller than the vucule of, say, Gandhi, or an oak tree, or Elvis. How about that? And get this, you and only you can see what is inside your vucule. Do you see what this means? It means that you cannot see what is inside anyone else's bubble, which means that no living thing can see what is outside its own vocule, which means that all living things exist in separate vocules, an infinite and miraculous flotilla of wondrous magical bubbles that can enter each other that must always remain separate, which means, oh, dear, every living thing is sealed in its own bucule, isolated, and forever alone. Hmm. I'm sensing that the fabulousness of my groundbreaking concept might not, at the moment, be making itself evident. Um, Greg, and it, it, it goes on, and I'm, uh, uh, if, if you want more, I, I I love reading this
0: stuff. It's, it's up to you. <laughs> it's, one of my, it's one of my favorite parts of the book, and I think you're really on to something really interesting, and what you go on to say a little after that is that mm-hmm. when we understand this about ourselves, that there is yeah. this thing, the vucule, our own little yeah. bubble of life, you say it helps us feel a greater sense of of a shared struggle to be understood. In other words, it it underscores, in a sense, the profound isolation that all of us feel on some level, even if we're not necessarily fully conscious of it. And and knowing that, in a sense, can really make us, in a sense, more sympathetic to one another and uh, maybe more patient with one another because we're all, in a sense... Trying to deal with this world while live living within our own Vukio.
1: Um, Greg, I got to tell you, this is the first time uh, since I've written this book that that um, that I've been engaged in a conversation that really uh, that really points to uh, my in, my intentions and what I think the value of this thing is, and I I just uh, I just want to. Tell you, it's it's a very moving uh, to me to have to have someone else um, uh, talk with such um, uh, I don't know dignity Hmm. uh, about about this because. I'm just grateful. That's what, that's all I'm telling you. Sure. You, you, you do a beautiful job of, of, <laughs> well, of articulating I, what this thing is about. Right. Um, well, and good.
0: and I think I, could, I can well understand how someone might take this book up and and focus on the silly, especially yeah. if if it is a radio interview and uh, that's kind of the tone of the tone of the program yeah. overall. And uh, yep. and again, there's a lot to laugh at, a lot to. Uh, enjoy on that kind of level but there's a, a lot of profundity here as well and the the way that it is wrapped up as I said earlier in kind of a light touch I think really really uh really makes it go down easily <laughs> so I enjoyed this quite a lot um you you have some interesting thoughts that I kind of I think go on from there in terms of what the sort of struggle of life is for so many and um One of the things you say at one point, I think it's in the chapter about the human brain, is when you say, life is a lovely, complicated accident. Our sweet, little, miraculous brains just do not have what it takes to understand it. (laughs) So I guess, you know, part of what this book is about is kind of helping all of us along the way, trying to kind of make sense of all of this. In what way do you see uh, so much of human life as kind of an accident or one point I think you talk about so much of life being chaotic and random. Um, what leads you to look at life that way and why do you think it's in a sense helpful for the rest of us to look at life that way?
1: Um, at the heart of this book is my core belief that uh, life is chaos and uh, it, that that realization uh, was set in stone uh, when I was 11 years old my, and both of my parents died. Uh, um, and so um, that's what I carry with me, that uh, you must make the best of what you have because um, it's just out of your control. Any organized thought that you, uh, that, that you apply to reality is your organized thought. Reality doesn't care what you think. Reality behaves um, in, in, in ways I know I can't. I can't figure it out. I can, I can, uh, I can marvel at it, but I can't. I, and I make my shape of it, but I can't do anything about it. And so, um, without being too Pollyanna-ish about it, if you if you're having if you're having troubles. So is everybody, <laughs> and find in the chaos, find in the chaos um, uh, a, a little uh, a, a little place that where, where you can become more contented and mm. just keep mov- moving towards contentment. Every, everybody can do that, and and. Uh, this book, I am much better. <laughs> I'm much better at um, constructing my worldview than than uh, spontaneously uh, expressing it.
0: Um, <laughs> right. No, I think I I get what you're uh, saying. There's there's something yeah. on 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 the printed page versus trying to uh, yes. concoct all this, yeah. Uh,
1: Absolutely. It, and so that, that, that's what I'm stuck with. And that's why even in uh, interviews like this, I, just, I know I, I feel tongue-tied and I feel inarticulate. Um, so, and when I sit down to write, that is, that is the happiest place um, I get to have.
0: Right. In the chapter called chaos uh you write everything happens not by design but by cold blooded heartbreaking randomness. We shape our lives from whatever debris has been swept by chance into our cosmic dustpans in a nutshell life is <laughs> Why couldn't I have said that? Jeez. <laughs> right in a life in a nutshell, life is making order out of chaos i mean that's that's what the business go. of there living is is all about
1: just, uh, four ago so Thank you for reading
0: that. I want to ask you about uh, something you say in your chapter called uh, The Brain or Brains. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's an image you create of how you think the human brain, at least for the most part, operates. You write at one point, uh-huh. I've come to know that my brain is not really mine. It's like a little pet that lives in the <laughs> kennel of my head. So that is a uncommon way of thinking about the human brain. Um <laughs> So how does that help help you kind of make sense of yourself in the world by thinking of, of the brain in that way? In what way is the brain like a little pet living in the kennel of our head? Um,
1: it, it, it's on display right now. When, <laughs> when I'm preparing for an interview like this, which is only recently and it's attached to this book, I can't count on my brain delivering to me... Um, the paragraph that I want to, that I want to say, and so I'm very, I'm aware that, uh, and that's why I carry this little this little notepad because I will have a thought that would not come if I weren't uh, for looking at a looking looking at something to uh, give me a notion, and, and and then I write it down in my in my little notebook. If if I didn't do that, I uh, I wonder what the hell was that thing. That that I that, I, that uh, I was thinking about my my the brain it does seem like a separate entity. Um, uh, think, think about when you um, you know you prepare for a play you learn all of these these lines. How is that done? How do you you have to tell your brain that okay now look this time we're memorizing stuff okay. Get the memor get the memorizing uh, feature going. It's it, it, it's just such it, it is such a mysterious glob <laughs> up in the in the, up in your head, and it just seems to have a life of its own. At least mine does. And um, when I hear people uh, on the radio. Um, uh, answering questions in full paragraphs and uh, zigzagging here and there. I am in awe because my brain can't do that. And um, so it just, the notion of, uh, uh, that's a little pitch in your head that, that, that you know, you say, okay, go, on, go in and, and bring me out this idea. And it, it goes in, it'll bring out the, the idea you want. Or it won't because it can't find it. It can't. You're looking for a word and you can't retrieve it. And so it just seems like, okay, brain, uh, how about letting me go to sleep? Can we do that? <laughs> um, and so, it, it, it really, it, that's the way. It, that's the way it feels with me. And my brother, my my oldest brother, uh, uh, has had a stroke. And but it's a, it's a, it's an interesting stroke. He um, he can he can uh, he he can write, but he cannot read. And hmm. he's trying to he tries to write things which he can do, but then he can't read what he has written. And that that you know that's his own uh, special stroke. Some little thing in his brain um, got clogged up, and he can't. He can, yes, he can. He can uh, write, but he can't read. What? It it alerts you to the fact that the brain is so complicated and so delicate that um, enjoy it. Enjoy it while it's, while it's working well, because um, it's going to slow down. It's, it's not you, you can't do anything about it. It will tell you. You won't tell it.
0: <laughs> and you're right. Then that's something that is uh, that, that none of us should ever take for granted. Uh, yeah. We're talking with Steve Adams about his uh, book, uh, What's What and What to Do About It, Answers You Didn't Know You Wanted to Questions You Didn't Know You Had. We're going to touch on just a couple of other things here real quick in the chapter called Beliefs in which uh, you kind of come to that notion about how how we sort out what it is that we believe and what we most believe or most sincerely believe uh, about ourselves and life and so on, you create a really intriguing scenario that involves smashing things with a shovel. Uh, (laughs) This is one of the most interesting parts of the whole book. Uh, and there's uh, there's a lot of helpful food for thought here. Uh, explain uh, to our listeners this scenario that you set up in the chapter called Beliefs that involves smashing things with a shovel.
1: What page is this on? Because it, once again, rather than, than describing it, it's like, you know, suppose this were a song. I don't want to describe my song, but may I read from it?
0: I think that would be fine. I yes. I think that would be fine.
1: Why is it I can't find? What, it's beliefs. Well, the chapter? Yes. My own.
0: Yeah. Let me see if I can. Oh. Uh, let me see if Three, I can. So
1: 27. Okay. okay. Sorry. 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 The 27.
0: Um, yep. That's right. Okay.
1: Um, so this. This uh, very arrogant guy has written a letter to to Waldo uh, uh, saying that he owns six, six different homes in di- different time zones, and he can glance at any page in a telephone directory and f- recite names in alphabetical order. He's got a sharp mind. Um, he knows he's confident that his values and what he knows to be true are constant and non-negotiable. And he's the beneficiary of the greatest idea on the face of the earth, capitalism. And so that's who Waldo is responding to. And Waldo says this. Uh, Once again, Greg, tell me when enough is enough, okay? Mm -hmm. Thank you for uh, your—Dear Anonymous, thank you for your refreshingly direct letter. You are absolutely correct. I do think you and a June bug are equal miracles. You say that success depends upon knowing. We differ on this, and that I think knowing is just another word for I'm done thinking about it. You say your values are constant. We differ on this, too, and that I think values are a flimsy product of random circumstance. And in hopes of making my point, I'm inviting you to play a fabulous game I've devised called Which Would You Smack With a Shovel? The rules are simple. I'm going to give you an imaginary shovel and an imaginary table upon which I am going to place different sets of imaginary things. Okay, Anonymous, here we go. I'm now placing on the table a small grayish stone and the beautiful living butterfly. Raise your shovel, please, and now bring it down hard upon one of them. Good show, Anonymous. You've made it clear that you value life and beauty more than you value non-life and grayishness. Okay. Let's brush the bits of the stone off the table. And next to the same beautiful butterfly, let's place another small stone, much like the last one, but shaped when viewed from a particular angle, angle, like a lopsided heart. This stone belonged to your great-grandfather. It was given to him by your great-grandmother, who found it one clear summer day when they were courting. And until his death, your great-grandfather kept that stone in the right front pocket of his trousers, rubbing it with his thumb whenever he needed soothing. Okay. Raise your shovel, please, Anonymous, and bring it down hard upon just one imaginary object. Oof. Sorry, butterfly. So much for beauty and life, but hooray for sentimental value. Okay. Let's Sponge the residual dust of the butter of the beautiful butterfly off the table and replace it next to your great grandpa's stone with another lump of stuff also found in the ground. It's a diamond. I have no idea how much it's worth. Okay, Anonymous, raise your shovel and now please smack one of the two imaginary objects on the table. Well, I know you're a smart guy when it comes to money, Anonymous, and so I'm guessing that you brought the shovel down on your great grandpa's stone just in case the diamond is worth a lot. And I have wonderful imaginary news for you. The imaginary diamond is real. In fact, it has been assessed by imaginary licensed gem brokers at over $750,000. Great going. Good judgment. You own that diamond now. Okay. Now on the table, I'm placing your fabulous diamond and an imaginary mongrel dog donated by your local ASPCA. And under the drumroll of an imaginary professional drummer, please raise your shovel and do your thing. Well, as we wrap the poor imaginary poochie in a sheet, I must deliver to you some disturbing news. The imaginary licensed gem brokers were crooks. They made off of the real diamond, and in its place put a chunk of well-cut glass. I don't blame you, anonymous, for hurling your imaginary shovel into the imaginary bushes. Shall I continue? Mm.
0: I think we get the gist of of this, uh, good. Of this experiment. That's good. good. Okay. So so this is a so this is a, an experiment to help sort out what it is that we most value, And I think part of the point you're making is that uh, what we value most is not a simple matter. And sometimes, what we end up valuing uh, in terms of something over something else, sometimes there are some surprises there.
1: Absolutely, you know what you consider to be yours um, it becomes special. You pick out you pick out uh, earrings for your partner, and and suddenly those earrings are are of all the billions of earrings, those are the special ones, and it's all just in your. You, you, your your head, and so I guess that's 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 you know you're making sense out of out of out of the chaos, and, <laughs> and it, it it calms you down. Mm.
0: Well, you go on to explore all kinds of of other uh, intriguing topics and issues uh, in, in 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 very very intriguing fashion. Towards the very beginning of the book, you say that you really hope that people will. Read this book over a period of time in short bursts, rather than sitting down and digesting it in one sitting. Uh, why do you think it's better to read the book in this fashion, kind of slapdash fashion, a little bit yeah. now, a little bit later, a little bit yeah. after that?
1: Um, I think when you get when you get any book. Um, this is this is different. This is this is not a novel, but no, novels, short story books. Um, they teach you they teach you to turn the page uh, quickly because if the novel is, is written well, that's what it, that's what you want to do. You want to go. You want to find out more and more about this person you're you're just learning about, or about the situation, uh, the problem that this person has to uh, resolve. In, in this particular book, it takes the shape of an advice column. And so each chapter uh, presents itself kind of like um, music on a record album. Uh, you go from one cut to the next cut to the next cut. There's no relationship between, um, between. there's very little relationship between one chapter and the next um, I I had a person tell me that you know I started reading this book and I was really and I got halfway through it and I thought, well, wait a minute, I'm supposed to slow down. And when the person did slow down, um, it was much more enjoyable because that is that is the way it should be read. It should be it um, it should be sipped and and not gulped, and because. (laughs) There's, hopefully, hopefully, it will spark in the reader um, their own thoughts about this kind of stuff. And by either disagreeing with me or agreeing strongly or having some questions, it, it, will, it, it will sharpen uh, the opinion of the reader. Not necessarily to my point of view, but to a point of view. And so... Um,
0: uh, so that's that. Mm. Well, this book really does get us thinking, and in exactly in that sort of way. I mean, it's easy to toss off those words and not really mean them, but I really do mean mm. them in, this, in the very best, richest sense of the word. This book is thought-provoking, and uh, I, I find myself, uh, in, again, in the best sense of the word, really haunted by it. I mean, returning to a lot of the questions that you raise and explore. The book, again, is what's what and what to do about it. Answers You Didn't Know You Wanted to Questions You Didn't Know You Had, published by Seven Stories Press and the author Steve Adams under his pseudonym Waldo Mellon. Steve Adams, thank you so much for giving the world this really wonderful book. I thoroughly enjoyed it and enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you so much.
1: Greg, thank you so much. I wish we were neighbors.